0: Today we begin a new sermon series. We are using material from the book Half Truths written by Adam Hamilton, senior pastor of our United Methodist Church of the Resurrection outside Kansas City. So I'm using, it's my own sermon, but I sure have a whole lot of the book in it. (laughs) So that's just your plagiarism alert. Uh, It's a really helpful book and I was glad for Jody's promo of it. Uh, Not too late to join one of our study groups and have some more time to talk about it more deeply. It's super helpful. Our scripture for today is, comes from the book of Romans, Romans 8, 28, and for some of us this is a very familiar passage. Paul wrote, we know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of God for all of us. Thanks be to God. I ask you to pray with me. May the words that I say and the reflections that go through all of our minds give you pleasure, God. You who are our rock, you who save us. Amen. There are I don't know what you call them. Things that we say. Sometimes it's an aphorism. Sometimes it's a meme. Whatever we mean, they're just these kind of catchphrases that people say. That sometimes we don't even really think through. Sometimes we hold on to them very dearly. Um, I think about a phrase like "a stitch in time saves nine. Now. That's a kind of old-fashioned thing that says that if something's beginning to unravel, fix it at the very beginning rather than waiting for the whole sweater to come apart. (laughs) It's a much harder job to repair something later than dealing with something when it first gets started. I think that's a good one. Or my mom, uh, one of her best ones which I reflect upon is don't borrow trouble. What mama and many others mean by that is, frankly, there are plenty of difficult things that happen in this world for every day. You don't need to look ahead and imagine something bad happening and awfulize it. (laughs) Make something terrible before anything terrible has ever happened. I try, I don't do that a whole lot, but when I catch myself doing that, I, I can hear my mom's voice. Now, Jane, don't borrow trouble. Got enough to deal with today. Don't need to go off into the future and awfulize it. And then there's some things that are kind of superstitions that can be funny, but could also be a little dangerous. So when I was a kid, one of the things people would say is, step on a crack, break your mother's back. And I remember being a kid. Okay, do they still say that, Miriam? So I remember being, thank you for letting me put you on the spot. I remember being a kid, walking, and specifically, there are lines here I'm missing so that I'm not breaking my mother's back. And... Fortunately, I was never that literal a child, but, you know, there are some kids that are that literal and get really frightened that they could hurt their mamas if they step on a crack by mistake. It's just a thing people say, but sometimes people take it too seriously. Or there are things that are kind of funny, but again, could be taken too seriously. I bet almost all of us have seen the bumper sticker, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Often that's on the back of a sports car, that kind of like midlife sports car, which frankly, if I had the money for, I would buy. So let's just be honest. (laughs) But, you know, the one who dies with the most toys wins. That can just be a fun, silly thing. Or if it's taken too seriously, that could imply that our material lives are what save us. If I just have enough stuff then I'll be really happy. If my house is bigger, if my stuff is bigger, you know, then, then I win. And, you know, that materialistic lifestyle is very empty. <laughs> it is not there for you when you go through a difficult time. It can leave you with a whole bunch to clear out at the end of your lives and you feel very regretful. <laughs> but the things we say, So, one of the things that we say, that you may say, that you may hear around in society, is everything happens for a reason. Now, when people say everything happens for a reason, they they may mean a variety of things by that. I'm going to speak specifically about when people say everything happens for a reason, meaning, and that reason is God's will. So, I just want to explain that that's kind of the implication. People will say, oh, everything happens for a reason. And I want to say first, if that's something you say, if that's a belief that is important to you, um, I just would ask you to hear me out. And if you hear me out, and at the end of the sermon, you're like, yep, I still believe everything happens for a reason, that is totally fine. We are United Methodists. We are not the thought police. It's a really wonderful thing about our tradition. So, you know, this I'm going to give you some options for how to think. I hope they're helpful to you. If they're not, that's fine. Um, We're not here for conformity, and if I offend anyone, I apologize and please come talk to me about it. Everything happens for a reason. It can feel comforting. It can feel like, well, you know, it's an answer. Everything happens for a reason, and you think, well, hmm, what would the reason be? And that could make us feel better. It It could feel like order in the midst of a very chaotic world. Well, everything happens for a reason. There can be useful to it, but sometimes we don't think through the implications of it. And so I want to give you just three quick problems with everything happens for a reason. The first problem is human responsibility. If we say everything happens for a reason, that implies that what I've done really has no... um, has no part in what actually happened because everything's happening for this reason that God is directing. Um, so I don't have to feel responsible for anything. It well, you know, whatever. Well, everything happened for a reason. It, it kind of lets us off the hook and, and can decrease our thoughtfulness and our reflection because we've already decided, oh, everything happened for a reason. Another angle, and the one that probably I feel most deeply, is the theological problem. What about God's responsibility? Everything happens for a reason. Well, if we think that reason is God's will, really? <laughs> Do we really believe that it was God's will for a man to get up on a high floor of a Las Vegas hotel and shoot out at people who just went to listen to a concert? Really? Really that's God's will <laughs> or children getting cancer or people being born with terrible inherited diseases really <laughs> we think we think that's God's will really or grand scale atrocities like the holocaust really god that everything happens for reason and god there's a reason in god's soul why 6 million jews died at the hands of the Barbarous Nazi regime. Really, that's God's doing. When you really think it through, you're attributing to God, or we can be attributing to God, things that I just don't think that's how God works. I don't think that's God's desire for our world. The third danger of this, and it's kind of implied by the other two, is fatalism. Fatalism is an idea of, well, I can't do anything that doesn't really matter nothing I do is going to change anything. And so if we think God's directing everything, we can get pretty fatalistic. Like, well, nothing, I can't do anything. I think about the kind of one of the key catchphrases of fatalism is, whatever. Now, think of that as a very common teenage phrase. Yeah, whatever. Whatever is the thing that the teenager says when he or she feels that nothing they say or do is gonna make them right (laughs) in the eyes of their parents, in the eyes of their teachers, like they're done. I'm not fighting, I'm not arguing, whatever. And I don't know about you, but when I hear whatever, my teeth start clenching. (laughs) Like That's not an answer. Like what's going on? I want to know, like when I hear whatever, I know we're in trouble, whatever. It, it's that sign of fatalism. Like, it doesn't matter what I do. Whatever I do, God's going to do whatever God's going to do. Whatever. So if we see problems with the term, with the phrase, everything happens for a reason, well, why would, why would Christians think that? Well, they would think that because they read Romans 8.28 about in everything God working for good <coughs> for those who love God. Well, does that mean then that the things that seem to be bad are actually for your good. Some people have interpreted Romans that way. Or they've interpreted key theological understandings to, to suggest that God determines everything. So two really important theological terms in here, and we may not use these terms all the time, but we may think the implications of them are providence and sovereignty. Providence is the idea that God provides. I mean, but that beautiful song, that, that always enough, that's a providence song. That's a we trust God to provide. We trust that, trust that God is going to be enough. And pretty much all Christians have a notion of providence that we have a God who created this world and provides for us. That's the doctrine of providence. Kind of related to that is the doctrine of sovereignty. Sovereignty is the idea that God is um, above all the world. Again, it's kind of linked to creation, but God is the sovereign. And it's that idea of sovereignty that, that leads to images of God, like God is Lord, as God is King, or, or Creator. These kind of God is sovereign. God is over it all. In uh, Jewish worship, you hear over and over again in Hebrew prayer, Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, which is, Blessed are you, God Almighty, King of the universe, or King of the world. It said over and over again. It's what Jews believe as a kind of core. This is who our God is. So we understand God to be sovereign. Adam Hamilton uses an interesting term I haven't heard before in this context. He says that God superintends... We have a district superintendent here, she understands superintendency. Superintendent doesn't control everything that happens. Uh, superintendent is probably sometimes very grateful she doesn't control everything that happens. But, 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 but watches over it and broods over it and cares for all of it, that's superintending. I think that's a pretty good image for sovereignty, that superintending. So I've said that that sovereignty and providence are key terms within Christian thought, but it doesn't mean that Christians have always interpreted them the same way. And so I want to throw out two extremes. The one extreme, I'm not saying it's extreme thought, but it's just the far end, is Calvinism. John Calvin was a lawyer and pastor who lived in Switzerland and uh, created the movement that became Reform Christianity. Uh, and he taught um, that God, everything that happens is God's will. If, um, if Jody, you know, if Mike picks up his microphone, God willed that at a previous time. Everything that happens is God's will. Every single thing. And that concept that everything happens is God's will is called theological determinism. It means everything's already determined theologically. It's all God's will. A subset of that, which is probably the term we're more familiar with, is predestination. And in predestination, Calvin believed that God had already decided ahead of time, before you were born, whether or not you were going to heaven. So you were predestined to salvation or not. That's predestination. And so in a certain sense, that could be very freeing, because God's already decided whether I'm saved or not, so I can just... Live my life walking with God, seeking to be faithful, but I don't need to worry about my salvation because I can't do anything about it. I mean, one, one can imagine how someone could see that as a very freeing concept. Calvin is, as I said, the root of reform traditions of, um, so that'd be Christian reform, Dutch reform, evangelical and reform from years ago, a German denomination, uh, Presbyterian. Uh, Presbyterians have a strong uh, concept of providence they don't tend to teach predestination quite as much now as they used to and also those Calvinist roots come into some of the Baptist traditions and the Puritan traditions and so you can read early Puritan material Well, they were very clear this was God's will and God had determined and they would be a city on the hill Calvinist predestination God had planned this all so that is one way of thinking about it Within the theological determinism end of the spectrum, everything is caused by God. Not a very high view of human responsibility. We're going along, we're trying to follow Jesus, but it's God who determines everything that happens. But as I said, there's a spectrum. So, so one far end is God determines everything. But there's a whole other end. At this end is deism. Deism. And deism was held by several of our founding fathers, including Thomas Jefferson. Deism contends that God created everything, made this world, and then said, tag, you're it. (laughs) God created it. It's up to humans to do whatever humans are going to do with it. One of the images you would hear about this is the watchmaker. That God created the watch, the watch is made, hands it over to the person who's going to wear the watch, then it's up to the person wearing the watch to wind the watch, not to get it in water, you know, to care for it. The person who owns the watch doesn't expect the watchmaker to come and wind the watch. That's the watch owner's job. Does that make sense? So that's the, the idea of deism is this idea of God created the earth and then said, it's yours. You have dominion. And in the, the extreme end of deism, God doesn't intervene at all. No miracles, no, no you know, interventions in any way. God created it. Now it's yours. So at the far end of Calvinism, at the farthest ex- uh, extreme or end of that, God causes everything. Then you get to deism. God created it. But after creation, God causes nothing. So those are extreme ends of how to deal with these issues of sovereignty and providence. As United Methodists, we take a middle way. As United Methodists, we believe that there are things that happen in the world that are God's will. But we also believe that there's a lot that happens in this world that is not God's will. In fact, we believe that there are many things that happen that break God's heart or that tick God off. Listen, you don't treat my kids that way. We believe that God cares deeply, but because we have free will, some things are going to happen that are not part of the will of God. And so it is our job as humans to discern, to listen for what things um, would be in line with God's will that might be nudges, that would be something that would be God's desire, but also to discern some things where we would say, no, that's not God. So let me give you an example. We are human beings, we have free will, we can make choices. We can make good choices, but we can also make poor choices. So let's say I'm in a rush and I get in the car and I start driving and then I realize, oh, I forgot to let Scott know about whatever. And when I get to a stop sign, I pull out my cell phone and I start texting, Oh, it's just got a second. So I start, I pull out my phone and I start texting The light turns red, I don't notice it, the cars behind me honk, I blurt out into the intersection, and I cause an accident. Now, I didn't choose to cause an accident, but my choice to text while driving caused that accident. Do I think that was God's will that I had that accident? No, (laughs) that's bad human choices. So there are accidents that happen because there are individuals making bad choices. There are also accidents that happen because of things in nature. A number of years ago, I was driving home. I'd been in Chicago to see a play with a friend, and I was driving home on 90, and I hit black ice, and my car spun around, and it was so scary. (laughs) Now, it had already been kind of slick, so I was doing grandma driving in the far right lane, kind of 30 miles. I still hit black ice and I still spun around. I don't know what I could have done differently. I didn't cause that accident. It's just sometimes there are going to be ice patches on the road. There we are. (laughs) So there are things that come from human choice, good choice, and poor choice. There are things that just happen from nature. If God creates our human bodies with cells that multiply so that cells can rejuvenate, it also means that in some cases cells go crazy and they create cancer, and those cells that are over-multiplying can cause terrible injury and can cause death, but it's not that God wants anyone to have cancer. We're living in that kind of in-between ground of recognizing that we can make choices that lead to what happens in the world. God can nudge things in ways that we look at and say, oh yeah, that was God's will, and some things just happen some things are the results of good choices some things are the results of poor choices and some things are god's desires and some things just happen and as mature you're not a methodist we're called to live in that middle ground and to discern in the context of a community in the context of a worshiping body to to hear with one another and reflect upon do we think that's god's doing we can have experiences in our lives where we look at them and we say, that was God. Adam Hamilton gives a beautiful, simple example of a time when his wife, Lavonne was out of town and he decided he'd go out to a restaurant for dinner. And he'd gotten in the car and he'd started driving and he just had this feeling, nope, go to a different restaurant. So he turned his car around, went to this different restaurant, thought, okay, this is weird, walked into the restaurant, and right at one of the front tables at the restaurant was one of his parishioners. And she looked at him, and she said, oh, Pastor Adam. <laughs> and he said, hi, whatever. She said, I can't, I can't believe you're here. I was just sitting here. You know, I'm going through a hard time right now, and I was just sitting here, and I was just praying, God, if you care for me at all, you, you, you got to show me and in walks her pastor. Adam Hamilton's absolutely clear that God nudged him. Now, he could have chosen to ignore the nudge, but he didn't. And he praises God that he got to be a messenger for a woman in a very difficult time. My hunch is many of you know exactly what I'm talking about when I mentioned those nudges, those funny impulses that wouldn't come to you rationally, but you just get a sense do this, or say this, or just something comes to you. It happened to me just about a month ago. Every year in December, um, I go for two days of silence in Advent to kind of recharge before Christmas Eve. And so right before our Alpine cantata, I had gone off for two days of silence in Racine. When I came home, there was a message from John and Tina Scheib, who are uh, part of our 8 o'clock community, letting me know that beloved uh, retired pastor Jim Moore was declining and had entered hospice care. And uh, I called them, confirmed with it. I had never talked to Jim's family, called his son, made good connections. And I just had this sense, go. (laughs) Go now. Now, let me be clear, that was not a rational sense. I had just gotten back from Wisconsin. I needed to unpack. I'm not complaining. But you all know that sometimes following Jesus is inconvenient. (laughs) And if it were up to rational process, you would not have done it. (laughs) If it were up to a rational process, I would have stayed home and watched another episode of Miss Fisher's Mysteries. Let's be clear. (laughs) But instead, (laughs) I mean, right? (laughs) But instead, I just knew, Go. And I went, and I visited with Jim, and prayed with him, and anointed with him, and went home so grateful that I had gone, and the next day he died. Now, let me be very, very clear. I don't think Jim Moore needed my visit to die. (laughs) I, I don't give myself any credit for anything in that process, But because the Shibes had called me, because I'd been able to connect with his son, I could then text his son back and let them know that I had been there with his dad. He then could forward it to his daughters down in Florida. A whole chain of things got put in place, which provided care not only for Jim and his family, and frankly for me, because I loved Jim very much. I'm so grateful I got to see him. Now, if I hadn't gone then, would it have been a tragedy? Probably not. But I'm really glad I did. And that was one of those nudges that God gives us. You know those times when you get a sense to call someone or to write someone. Or the other way it happens is sometimes you say things that are really meaningful to someone else and sometimes you don't even remember saying them. And then someone will come back to you and say, oh my gosh, I am so glad you said this. And, and the, person, and the, the so person comes and thanks you, and you're going, I don't even really remember saying that. There are people who have said things on which my life pivoted that I've gone back and thanked, and they don't remember it. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit. That's those, those nudgings. I just don't believe in the, excuse me, I just don't believe in the deist God. God's active. God's alive. God's in the world. God's nudging. God isn't causing every little thing that happens, but God is still present and participating. So, given that understanding, what do we do with the issue of suffering? If we believe that God intervenes in the world, why doesn't God fix everything? Well, if God fixes everything, we're back to being puppets or game pieces that God moves around on a board, and we're not humans with free will and choice. Well, but free will and the Holocaust, really? (laughs) Someone said that to me after the 930 service. I thought, that's a pretty good question. I mean, this, this is a challenging world in which to live, to be in that middle ground, not taking either absolute route. And yet, it is a place of great tenderness and joy and hope. When I was in seminary, I had an opportunity to uh, hear Henry Nouwen, the Dutch priest and scholar. Uh, He was speaking up on the North Shore. And he told a story of a friend of his who had developed a really terrible disease and Henry's a Catholic priest, his friend was Catholic, and uh, some of you may be familiar, in France there is a shrine called Lourdes, and people, not just Catholics, will come sometimes from all over the world to go to Lourdes to be healed. Henry told that this friend became absolutely convinced he had to go to Lourdes. The friend was going to go to Lourdes and he was going to be healed. Boom, he knew it. Well, Henry told that in his spirit, he was a little nervous about that because the truth is although some people do go to lords and are healed others go to lords and they're not healed <laughs> and henry was worried that this man was putting all his faith on how he was going to go to lords and he was going to receive a miracle and he was going to come back healed and it was all going to be fixed and it made henry nervous so his friend went to france henry prayed for him time passed after a while Days, whatever, later, Henry, or Henry receives a phone call from his friend. And his friend says, Henry, Henry, you won't believe this. The most amazing thing happened. And Henry's kind of in shock and says, were you healed? Oh, better than that. And his friend told about how he had been at Lourdes. And there were all these people around the area of Shrine that were suffering and aching for healing. And the people around Lourdes would share with one another how they were suffering, what they were yearning for. And the friend found this amazing community of people who were suffering, but also who cared for one another and who listened to each other. And as the friend spent time around the shrine at Lords, he realized I don't want to be healed and be the miracle that takes me out of this community. I don't want that. And so the man stayed for a while, thanked God, and left. And called Henry jubilant. Now, did God heal this man? Oh, yeah. But he didn't cure him. That's one of the tough elements of the Christian life. I believe absolutely that every time we pray for healing, God will do some healing. And that healing might be a cure, but that healing may be no cure at all, but a healing in our thoughts or a healing in a relationship or a healing in something we can't even see. But our God is a healing God. And so we live, as Christians, a life of complexity, acknowledging that there is suffering and death, but trusting in resurrection. Jesus did suffer. He was tortured. He did die. And God raised him from the dead, renewed him to life, and restored him to earth for a period of time so that he could set loose a mission of others who could preach the good news of God's love and care. Of community and justice. But our God suffered and died, so we know that our God doesn't prevent suffering and death, that that's part of the human condition. But we can always trust that our God cares for us, that our God will will carry out some act of healing, even if it's not the healing we're expecting. We can trust that our God is involved and cares and will work in amazing ways. Thanks be to God who calls us to a mature spirituality where we keep our eyes open for what God might do and what God might want us to do for the good of the world. Amen.